This podcast is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, award-winning wealth managers who go above and beyond to support and guide you. Visit candowealth.com to start building your wealth with confidence. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots and Spectator's Daily Politics Podcast. I'm Katie Balls and I'm joined by James Forsyth and Isabel Hardman. And today we have finally had the Sue Gray Report, or at least a version of the Sue Gray Report, an update as her team put it. And we have also heard from Boris Johnson in the chamber. Um, I think before we get to what's been a very uncomfortable session for Boris Johnson, Isabel, could you just explain what the Sue Gray summary actually says? Yes, so she says that because of the police investigation, she can't give the uh, full and meaningful uh, report. So this is, as you say, an update with some serious learning that the government can already do and doesn't have to wait for the outcome of the police investigation. And that includes her very sort of grim and unimpressed conclusions about the way in which the gatherings in Downing Street fell short of the standards that were expected of it and of uh, the public in general during uh, lockdown. It includes uh, recommendations on changing the way in which Downing Street is run, saying that there's too much uh, responsibility placed on one official at the moment. It gives a list of uh, the gatherings that the police aren't investigating and also lists how many gatherings there are that the police are investigating, which I think is 12 gatherings. And it also covers how much evidence it has been taking in. So the inquiry has interviewed more than 70 people, some more than once. Uh, It's been looking at uh, exit and entry logs on buildings. It's taken photographs and we've since had confirmed that around 300 photographs uh, have been handed over to the police. So it still has quite a lot in it, despite it being only uh, 12 pages and two of those pages being blank. But there is clearly, and the report intimates this, clearly a lot more to come. And James, let's now talk about how Boris Johnson has dealt with this. He did say sorry, but the general tone this afternoon isn't overly apologetic, is it? Today, Boris Johnson had to do two emotional registers. He felt he had to do apologetic and he felt he had to do combative. I think he went too far on competitive. He had a line in there attacking Keir Starmer over that Jimmy Savile wasn't prosecuted. I think that has landed badly with a lot of senior Tory MPs. There's a feeling that the comment wasn't kind of you know, dignified or didn't fit with the office. I also think that there is a, a problem here, which is that you know he has told the House of Commons that that all the rules were followed at all times. You've now got the police investigating. 12 events and you know, he, he is very doggedly saying not correcting the record which you know again greats with Tory MPs because you know th- there is a feeling that if a minister inadvertently misleads the house they should come back as quickly as they can and correct the record I also thought that you saw to my mind perhaps the most telling thing was that when Tory MPs like Bernard Jenkin would say to Boris Johnson you know you've got a few months to sort yourself out and we'll judge you then Boris Johnson looked so relieved and you know because that contrasted with Andrew Mitchell telling him that he no longer had his support uh, Theresa May asking a question which is basically the Boris Johnson number 10 either didn't understand the rules they were imposing on everyone else or thought that they didn't apply to them you know again that you can hardly think that is a supportive question and I thought the most telling thing for me was the almost total silence with which the Tory benches heard Keir Starmer. And then when Ian Blackford 
the SNP leader, who Tory MPs are never usually afraid to heckle, when he was chucked out of a chamber for saying that the Prime Minister had misled the House. You know, normally when something like that happens, you know, the Tory MPs kind of waving bye-bye, all that kind of thing, there were just a handful doing it. There was the, the discomfort on the Tory benches today was striking. And I think perhaps worse than we were expecting this morning. I think there was a kind of feeling that, that today, you know, was because it is going to be an update. Sue Gray says explicitly that this cannot be considered her report because she can't say anything meaningful about the, so many events because of the police investigation. And she doesn't want to talk about only the events the police aren't investigating. The, the Gray report wouldn't move the dial, but things do feel considerably worse for the Prime Minister than they were this morning. Yes, Isabel, let's talk about that Tory criticism because obviously there was Keir Starmer's response and as James said, you had the Chamber silent to hear that. It seemed as though uh, the party politics of recent Prime Minister's questions where you've had Tory MPs trying to uh, you know, bolster their leader seemed, seemed to go. But plenty of criticism from the opposition. But I think obviously, as James touched on, the most telling was from Boris Johnson's own side. You had Andrew Mitchell um, say that the Prime Minister no longer had his support. And we also had some quite heart-wrenching stories of Tory MPs talking about their own um, rule following and asking the Prime Minister if they were wrong. Yeah, two of the ones that really stood out for me were Aaron Bell and uh, Duncan Baker. Aaron Bell is a uh, Red Wall MP, as we like to, to call it. Um, Duncan Baker is uh, North Norfolk, so a, a different part of the, the Tory constituency. But both of them were really furious with the Prime Minister and didn't make any attempt to disguise that. And as you say, they spoke about their own personal experiences. So Aaron Bell described driving for hours and hours to go to the funeral of his aunt, not staying for a cup of tea to to see family afterwards. There were only being 10 people there, lots of members of the family who weren't able to attend because of COVID regulations. And he then asked very pointedly whether the Prime Minister thought he was a fool. Uh, And then we got a, a very similar question from Duncan Baker about Uh, sticking to the rules. I thought it was also significant that Theresa May asked a question. Obviously, as a former prime minister, she gets first dibs basically on asking a question after Keir Starmer. And her question was was basically uh, either the prime minister didn't understand what the rules had meant or they didn't think that the rules applied to number 10. And that I thought that was a, a very pointed and stinging question, and I think sort of bounced off that very unbecoming response from Johnson to Sir Keir Starmer's response uh, in the chamber. I thought when I was listening to Keir Starmer that actually I think it's probably one of his best speeches I've, I've heard him give in the Commons, and it felt as though he was back in a courtroom giving the closing address to a jury, and that that jury was the Conservative Party. He was trying to encourage Tory MPs to to do the right thing morally and to accept that while they'd always known that uh, Boris Johnson uh, had a strange set of morals that actually now they had to do the moral thing and and get rid of him and uh, and for Boris Johnson as James says to to sort of leap to this uh, Jimmy Savile line really jarred and I suspect, probably spurred on Theresa May to ask that very difficult question. I think it's also worth saying that there were a lot of Conservative backbenchers who were clearly part of this campaign operation around the Prime Minister to shore up support for him, who were welcoming the changes in Number 10 and praising his work on free ports and so on. 
but they ran out of MPs to do that. And even though the Labour Party is, is pretty small at the moment by modern standards, uh, they were still going in the chamber and Conservative MPs weren't standing up anymore. There weren't any more MPs who either wanted to to, to lay into him or to support him. I think probably the the voice of support that he could have done with the least was from Rob Roberts, the, the disgraced former Conservative MP who, who stood up to give a, a full a full and resounding backing to the PM, which is, is not what you want. James, another intervention that I didn't think was perhaps as helpful as it was meant to be was Catherine Fletcher, who said, you know, my constituents say you're Wally, but there's lots of, um, you know, Russians moving towards Ukraine. So we should focus on that, not cake. Do you agree? I think this is I mean, one of the challenges of the fact that police are investigating is that this argument about keeping things in proportion is harder to pull off because it's hard to say that this is trivial if this has got to a level where the police feel the need to have a look at it. I also thought there were two other things that were striking us. One is Boris Johnson is refusing to say that the Grey Report will be published in full even once the Metropolitan Police have concluded their work. Despite numerous questions, not just from opposition, yeah, but from Tory Yeah, but Mark Harper, former Tory Chief Whip, asked him that question. I think mean, that is a mistake because, as Nikki DaCosta, the former Director of Legislative Affairs at Number has pointed out, you know, there are probably the numbers in the Commons to force its publication, uh, whatever Boris Johnson does. So he would be better off saying that he will publish it once it is done. And because I think, you know, also, again, you know, at the moment, there are still uh, there are still a sizable number of Tory MPs waiting for the Grey Report. If you are told the Grey Report will never come, I, I, I think I think he would be unwise to, to to bring forward their moment of decision in the current circumstances. And I also thought that it it is that, that sometimes you know, there is this thing which we, we, that we talk about, which is kind of some people say, oh, it, it doesn't exist, but I do think there is something called as the mood of a house that you can sense an atmosphere. And today, the, just the silence of Tory MPs was quiet, which I think was, a, which is, yes, there are some who are making noise on behalf of the Prime Minister, but I think a lot of them are still in this position of, of, of sitting on their hands, essentially. They, they, they are, but they haven't made up their mind what to do one way or the other, and they are wishing to preserve their options. And I, I think that is, a, that is a worrying sign for any, any Prime Minister. Um, Boris Johnson is going to go and address all Tory MPs tonight. And... I think, you know, he will try and say, look, there are changes coming to number 10, that's enough. But I think one of the other problems that you saw this at the weekend is that, you know, as Boris Johnson moved to shore up his position in the last few weeks, he's had lots of MPs to his common study and he has essentially indicated to them that he is, that he is sympathetic to their points. And one of the things that they kept raising with him was national insurance and scrapping that rise. But at the weekend, he had to commit that he was going to go ahead with that. And I mean, the, the problem for him is that now lots of his party are thoroughly impatient with him and so he i don't think he will have that long to deliver on his promises i mean you could see, see that even in the supportive interventions from bernard jenkin or robert buckland they, they basically were saying you've got months to show results james just on there and then to Isabel, i mean how safe do you think he is then there had been this growing sense and i think it's worth noting i mean i had one mp say to me over the weekend you know this whipping operation the shadow that in a way because almost Johnson's allies were overcorrecting from neglecting the party. It was so heavy-handed that the responses they're getting are just, you know, if you demand loyalty, people just say you're giving it, and it can give this false sense of security. Do you think that it's still the case that the crunch point is the police investigation or the local elections in May, or could it come sooner? I, I think it is still most likely that the publication of the 
great report in full, which I, which I think whatever number 10 is saying at the moment will end up having to happen, or the police investigation are probably the, mo- the most likely moments when Tory MPs will resolve to make up their mind. But the great update has not helped the Prime Minister. I think it, it, and I also think his own performance in the chamber today, and I know I keep saying this, I still think, and especially that Jimmy Savile line has not helped his position. And finally, Isabel, do you think that today's performance from Boris Johnson has made his position uh, safer or less safe? I think he thought that it had when he finished his statement in the Commons, when he commended his statement to the House before the responses. I think he was quite pleased both with the the breathing space uh, the report had given him and the way in which he'd managed to you know, apologise, remind Conservative MPs of what this government was achieving and talk a little bit about how he was going to you know, change the things around him that he could change. But I, I think, as we've discussed, that as the statement and the responses wore on, it became clear to Conservative MPs that the PM isn't actually going to, to change the thing that's the problem, which is himself. And I think a lot rests on this meeting that he has with them this evening, because if he gets the tone wrong there, then I think you're going to to, to get a, a very dangerous atmosphere indeed in the Conservative Party. As we've said on this podcast, there are a lot of Conservative MPs who are sort of scratching their head thinking, well, this hasn't been good. What What do we do now? And if you get a PM who's insufficiently contrite who seems to think that actually still it's a you know labor witch hunt and that everyone's being very unfair to him uh, then i think you're going to have a, a, a very difficult situation for the prime minister thank you isabel thank you james and thank you for listening